Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome into the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's guest will be Seabass of WNWS of Jackson, Tennessee, and Bruno Reagan, former Commodore, now with us at VandySports.com. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt heads to Georgia on Saturday for a football game with the Bulldogs. Kickoff time of that will be 3 o'clock Central. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Joining me on the podcast today, Seabass from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee, Bruno Reagan, my colleague at VandySports.com, former Commodore. Welcome, gentlemen. And I'm going to start with you, Seabass, because we have not podcasted since Derek Mason's termination. What are your thoughts on that and Coach Mason's legacy at Vanderbilt? Uh, thank you, Chris. Bruno, Big Pimpin'. Uh, great to talk to you guys today. Uh, my thoughts, uh, all the respect in the world for Coach Mason. Appreciate the work. And there were some good times, and, and, and I know he'll find a great gig, and I respect how he respects players. I like that. I mean, that always mattered to me, and I listen to the players and what they have to say. What they have to say about him is is, is, is great things. So I'll appreciate and remember him for that, but this was absolutely necessary for this program and the university to make this change right now. All right, let's talk about where he lands next. This is entirely speculative unless somebody has some information here, which I don't think any of us do. But, Bruno, what do you think the next stop for Derek Mason looks like? Yeah, I figure – I mean, there's a, there's a probability I could call him. I don't think – I think he wants to get away from the world probably for – I know he's on contract for a little bit. So if I was Coach Mace and 
this is probably why I'm not a head coach either. But if I was Coach Mace, I'd take a year off and be drinking pina coladas on the beach. But, you know, he's going to – I think he'll pop back into the scene shortly. Football is just like any other profession. And, you know, it comes back around to your network. And these coaches are very well connected. Coach Mason is, is an extremely well-connected guy. I think you saw that where he was – you know, after the season was over, he would get a, he would get a lot of analyst positions for, the for like, the New Year's Six Bowls and stuff. So I think you can see, you know, it might not even be a football. Like, he he's truly found his voice and being a head coach like he had a lot of speaking not gonna say deficiencies but like you know he had to learn on the fly how to do that stuff and i feel like he uh that could be a possibility for him but i do think he loves the game of football and he wants to be involved and he wants to be involved in a high level and he wants to win so probably look at defensive coordinator position the nfl or or in a power five conference and then probably toward working towards another head coaching position because coaching eight years as a head coach that's a lot experience you can't get anywhere else so he could definitely fight for that he had some success at vanderbilt very hard school to have success at so i think he probably goes back to his roots you know finds defensive coordinator position but head coaching is an option he look down a level or outside the power of five to, do so to, to land one of those jobs Bass, your turn yeah, a couple things. Uh, one, address on the speaking thing. Let's remember that, uh, you know, towards the end, he was the king of Hoover. You know, are you? I mean, yeah. you know, he was. I mean, he was extremely engaging, and and he just kind of rocked the house. Didn't work out on the football field, but at the podium, I mean, I loved, I loved him in Hoover when he was. You know, he was down there doing his thing, and he was a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, as far as what I think he does, you know, fellas, look, a couple things here. First of all. Um, I'm not so sure. I forget message board fodder. I'm not so sure that a, at least at a power five program, uh, even with that need is going to be able to overlook the fact that his defenses have been, well, I think porous might even be a little polite, you know, over the last couple of years. And we can talk about coordinators, but that was the case when he was his own coordinator and the numbers were bad. There's just no way to put it. And you can say, wow, it was at Vanderbilt. That's Vanderbilt has had some very good defenses over the years, but this defense was getting worse and worse and worse and worse, like historically bad. Um, if I'm a head coach from a power five team, I'm going to know about that. And I, and I'm going to need to know why other than it's Vanderbilt. That's not, I need more than that, that it is just Vanderbilt. So I don't know if he wants to get back. I don't know that a power five defensive coordinator position uh, right off the get is available. What it might be, you know, it might be somewhere to where he heads out where heads back West and you see him as a defensive backs coach, you know, somewhere in the PAC 12, you know, restore that reputation a little bit, Maybe he scores, a, you know, and then maybe he either scores a defensive coordinator somewhere on, on, on the Division One level, maybe Power 5, maybe not. Uh, or maybe he takes a head coaching job on an FCS level, or maybe it's what Bruno said. Maybe you get a job in the NFL from, as a position coach, but I'm not so sure, at least on the Power 5 level, y'all tell me if I'm crazy. But as a head coach of one of those programs, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to see those defensive defensive deficiencies over the last three or four years, and I'm going to have an issue with that. I don't know that I can sell this is my next defensive coordinator because I would have to go all the way back to Stanford to show true viable results uh, based on, on, on his schemes. So I don't know that a Power 5 uh, defensive coordinatorship is available right now. That's just the way I see it. Y'all may see it differently. 
Yeah, he had limited success at Vanderbilt. I mean, that 2016 season, that was Lud's first season. I think that was Kyle's first full season at quarterback. We got carried by our defense straight up. Got, and that was more than just scheme. That was also personnel. I mean, Zach Cunningham was on that team flying around the field. He basically covered half the field himself as a covered backer and as a hard hitter. He made the tackle against Georgia. The defense won us the game against Georgia. I think we had 170 yards. We scored once because of a kickoff right at the beginning that got us down to five, and then we found, we just magically put together a drive based off a crazy screen. Like the defense won us that game entirely, but once you had those top level athletes, of course, like you know, the players make the plays and the players make the scheme come alive. So obviously now we have depth issues, roster issues, and that's where you started the de- started to see the defense, you know, come underneath. But I do think you make a good point, but. Just like, and that's why I was trying to say, it's also who you know business in 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 this deal. Like he'll probably only go somewhere to someone he's true, he's really connected to, or someone he's probably worked with before that knows what he's about and knows his work and knows his knows his work. And if he can answer those questions, I could see him getting a getting a DC job again. But you're right. I mean, if he wants to get back into into the high level of things, he might have to work his way back up. But he did have limited success here at Vanderbilt. Yeah, you brought up some good points there. It is who you know. Sometimes it also is an area of the country. I think he's more fitting on the West Coast, maybe. Pac-12, where it's a little bit more laid back. Bruno, is that fair? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Maybe laid back isn't the answer because it's still high-level football. Like Even if, if we played those Pac-12 teams, it would have been still good games. But, I mean, look at Carl Durrell. Like, the guy's a head coach right now, you know, of a Pac-12 team. And when he was offensive coordinator here, you would have thought that there was a super volcano erupting, you know? So there are, there are pathways for these guys to get back into the business and have success. Um, and, I mean, Seabass made a good point. At Stanford, that's the whole reason he was hired. He shut down that Oregon offense, not once, not like multiple times, every single time they played. So that might be something he can, you know, appeal to with those with those uh, teams out West. So that that's a very fair point that he might, you know, look to go outside of the SEC. Okay, I'm going to have to take a sidebar here. How was Carl Durrell so bad as an offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt, yet you see what is happening at Colorado now? That's a good, that's a good point. Uh, because good play. My, my first year, that was, my, that was the year I redshirted. And I thought he did some decent things. I thought the schemes were okay. And we had some decent players. I mean, our quarterback position was obviously a mess. You know, we traded between Johnny McCray, Patton Robinette, Stephen Rivers, like through a circle, circle, circle. We even threw Wayne there against Kentucky. We burned that red shirt, just pop. So that, when you don't have a quarterback, obviously things are things are pretty bad off the jump. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just an unsuccessful year. I think it was. I think working at Vanderbilt caught a lot of these coaches off guard. It's just not normal, you know. I really wish I had a better way to explain it. But then obviously he's a head coach. He wasn't before because he had some decent success at UCLA before he came to Vanderbilt. And now he's having some decent success over there. So it is what it is. And that's the nature of this business. It is extremely volatile. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can do everything right and still not go. Things don't go your way. That's just how it is. Seabass, I'm going to ask you this question, and then we're going to go into the mailbag because there's a ton of coaching-related questions, or at least coaching search-related questions that we would get to in the nature of the podcast, but they're in the mailbag, so I'll just go to them there. One theory I heard floated this week, and I don't know where this came from, if there's anything to it, but you know Hugh Freeze pretty well, or did, 
He and Derek, I think, had a pretty good relationship. Someone said, don't be surprised if Derek ends up freezes defensive coordinator somewhere. What would you think about that? I mean, I, I know they have a relationship. I have no idea how strong it was. Um, so I could, I could definitely see that. You know, I mean, I mean, who doesn't love a story of redemption and who isn't living one? Uh, who's living one like uh, like Hugh Freeze right now? I mean, I mean, think about this three years ago, you know, two years, well, two years ago, really. Uh, just the fact that, that what Q is doing right now and where he's doing it at. Um, I mean, I thought he was tarnished for a long, long time. I mean, to the point where, I mean, this was just, I mean, you, you, you couldn't even think about hiring that guy. <laughs> and we would hear things like the SEC would never allow that to happen. Well, I think we can all agree we are at a point now where they absolutely will let that happen. And if somebody pulls the trigger, that that's where he'll end up being. Um, you know, the thing about that is, is, is Hugh. See, here's the difference. See, Hugh, Hugh, <laughs> Hugh is not like Jamie Chadwell in this sense. Jamie Chadwell, you remember when Andy McCollum was at Middle, Chris? Of course. At, at, you know, 1999, 2001, stuff like that. See, Andy McCollum waited too long. He waited too long. Had he had he taken a job after, let's say, 2000, 2001, when they won eight games? I mean, and this was a team who it was fresh off of leaving the Ohio Valley Conference just a couple of years before. And now he's winning six. He's winning eight games. But he waited a, tier, a year too long, and then he went four and eight. And then he went four and eight again. And the phone stopped mm-hmm. ringing. Well, Jamie Chadwell couldn't – he couldn't have higher stock right now if he wanted to. You know that team was picked to finish dead last in the conference this year. Oh, they were picked to finish dead dead last in the conference. They are undefeated, playing for the conference championship, and ranked in the top fifteen in the in the country. He cannot possibly have higher value than he has right now. It's impossible. Uh, he can only serve. He needs to take a job right now if he's serious about moving up to the next level. Hugh Freeze does not have to worry about that because Hugh Freeze already proved to you that he can win in the highest level of college football. He beat Alabama two times in a row with the boys from Oxford. Okay? He took them to a level. Ain't nobody else as good as Lane Kiffin is, and I like Lane, but he's not Hugh Freeze. He will not take them to that level. That's not going to happen. Um, Hugh can take a few more risks, you know, than, than maybe somebody else in his position. If Hugh Freeze, let's say he finishes out, let's say whether he wins or loses this game, let's say he stays at Liberty one more year and goes seven and five, eight and four, whatever the case may be, that phone will continue to ring regardless of what happens. And, yeah, I could absolutely see him taking – and I don't even call it a flyer. You take Hiring Derek Mason on your, as your defense coordinator wouldn't be a flyer on the guy. He's proven that he can do it too because, as Bruno said, nobody – when nobody could stop Oregon, he did. And if it was just one time, mm, we'll see. But pretty much any time he went up against them, he shut them down when no one else could. That has to be remembered and has to be appreciated. And I think you would look at that and say, you know, if I can rebottle that, you know, I I understand what happened in Nashville, but I'll take chalk that up as it be in Nashville. Uh, I'll take a chance on that guy. He can afford to do something like that because he has that type of stock. Uh, I I could easily see something like that happen. Sure. 
Let's go to the mailbag. The mailbag is sponsored, as always, by our good friend Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Give Josh a call today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Ann Arbordor says, based on what you know about Chadwell, Healy, and Lee, that being Jamie Chadwell, Will Healy, and Clark Lee, are there high-probability transfers out of Vanderbilt for key high-value players? Bruno, I will let you tackle that one. That's a difficult one right now, uh, but you'll I think you'll have a good idea of how to answer it. Um, is this a question in terms of are players going to transfer regardless to get hired? Well, I took it, I took it as based on who they pick, but they may lose kids anyway. I mean, I don't, yeah, we're not not going to delve into this much, but we've talked about it for a while. So go ahead. Yeah, I don't think, uh, I think the head coaching search, uh, I actually think it might keep some guys. You know, I think Vanderbilt is right now the land of opportunity for anybody, even the guys that are there right now. This is a fresh start. I mean, new coaching staff, the rosters are, I mean, let's face it. There are going to be some transfers regardless. Some guys are going to try, you know, try their hand in the open, in the in the new transfer portal deal. I still can't believe that's a thing, but they're going to try their, their deal. You know, I don't think the players are in favor of one coach or the other. Right now, these guys are trying to survive the next 10 days. Then they'll worry about all of that other stuff later. So I think uh, I think as far as the transfer thing, any high-value players, probably. If, if there's anybody that's going to transfer, it should probably be the high-value people. Anybody who's a project right now or still working on hitting the roster spot, they should stay because this is the land of opportunity for them. They can make a lot happen being at Vanderbilt. Early playing time, all these guys got early playing time, developing. I mean, I think I think Vanderbilt's a pretty good spot right now. Next one, I'm going to give Seabass the first crack at this. Door King asks. Uh, before you do, before you do that, I'd like to 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 to, to give my uh, my response to that particular question. Certainly, certainly, yeah. Okay, be, be, because now Bruno, you were SEC, I was OVC. We were both in mm-hmm. the trenches, but I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure uh, the 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 amount of time is probably going to be close to the same. Now, for me, I would say that I spent, if we, if we talk about uh, everything that is involved with, with, with playing ball, I would say I would put it somewhere around. I, I spent about 75% of my time with my position coach, you know, way, 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 way more than I ever did the head coach or the, or the offensive coordinator or anything like that. Um, I think that we have to take a it, – it's very hard, regardless of who th- that name is that comes in. Um, for me, the relationship with the position coach was by far the biggest. It mattered to me the most. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that's going to matter a whole lot as to who leaves and who stays, be it the recruiting class or the, the, mm-hmm. current, uh, the current roster, is 
what position coaches are going to be are going to be retained once whoever takes this job gets it because there are some pieces here. I think about Tim uh, Tim Horton. I think about I think about our great friend Jovan Hay, who just is, is, is mm-hmm. if, there's, if there's a Vanderbilt and it's Coach Hay. You know, I think about Coach Rosamondo. These three guys. I look at those three. They don't need to go anywhere. But a, head co- a new head coach has an idea of what he's looking for and who he wants to work with. But I don't think – you know, we can talk about what head coach is going to be and what that means for transfers, but I think a lot of that, fellas, is going to be contingent upon which assistant coaches are retained and who are, who is not. Door King asks, who would you guys choose for the next head coach if you were on the committee? Seabass, I'll let you go first. This sucks. I hate this question. It's a great question. <laughs> it is uh, and, uh, don't get me wrong. It's a great question. But at least for me, I, I think that most, and Chris and I, you know, Bruno, Chris and I have been talking about this for, for weeks before this happened. And uh, honestly, you know, the three names that are at the top were the ones that kind of came up anyway, you know. Uh, I mean, the Jamie Chadwell, Will Haley, uh, Clark Lee, every one of those three all make total sense for three different reasons, you know, and they're all interested in the job. And there's a couple of more out there. I, I, I bounce back and forth. Now, if you would have asked me before the start of the season, Chris will tell you, I'd have said, Will Healy, Will Healy, Will Healy, period. Because, I, Bruno, you're from Clarksville. You nope. understand what Austin P was. And what he did, nothing. If as bad as you think Vanderbilt's program is, it is it is Alabama compared to what that program used to be. He is responsible for that turnaround. All that you see today, now it took a lot of money, don't get me wrong, and the backs are getting their brains beat out by SEC teams and whatnot. But I'm telling you right now, he has to be the one that gets credit for that. They've been able to maintain, but he did this. He did the impossible. <laughs> uh, he, he told them when they, they could win when the entire world told them they could lose, that they would lose, that they had no chance. And he turned that thing around. He's taken Charlotte to its only bowl appearance. I know they're a new program. I know they're not 10-1. and one. I understand all that. But I, I think you have to, to realize where he's at. Um, love the guy. Energetic. I think he's a good football coach. Do I think he's a better football coach than Jamie Chadwell? I'm not ready to say that. Jamie Chadwell, everywhere he goes, good things seems to happen. Now, one thing that I will say before I get to Clark Lee, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this narrative. I see it on the board. I see it nationally. Stop this defeatist attitude of telling me I got to go to a service academy offense if I want to compete. <laughs> that is not true. It is not true. It's stupid, and it's not true. If we had Alabama, if we had Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, okay, if we had the Georgia offensive line from last year, I'll listen to that. But the fact of the matter is we have a fantastic young quarterback to build around. And really, I love Mike Wright, too. We have a fantastic young running back to build around, and we build the pieces there. You don't have to run a service academy offense to win. I'm sorry. That is that is you know what that's saying? That is saying we're not good enough to compete. Well, so we'll stall as long as we can to keep from getting our butts beat to death and make keep the score respectable. I'm not having that. That is not the case. We can win here. James Franklin didn't run a wishbone offense. Okay? And yes, I'm bringing James Franklin up because I'm tired of that narrative. 
no, you don't have to have Munkin just so we can run uh, you know, a, a, an offense that will do it. And, and what's the best way I'm looking for? Keep it as close as it can possibly be. That's such a defeatist attitude. I hate that. I hate that. I hate the thought of that. With Clark Lee, I mean, good grief. Look at the reaction, guys. For those of us who, you know, you know, the only thing we remember about Clark Lee is he used to play here. Go look at any message board and go look in any social media of Notre Dame fans who are as critical as any fan base in America about their team. And they all echo the same thing. Do whatever you have to do, but make sure that you lock Clark Lee down. You can't let him get out of town. He is our guy, and we'd love to have him as our next head coach in waiting. That's Notre Dame fan base telling you that. Okay, that's Notre Dame's fan base telling you that. And when TC, when when Tim Corbin gives you his seal of approval, I don't know what else you need. Any one of those three has to be considered a home run. If I'm telling you the truth at the end of the day, if there's one guy that if I hear his name that may make me a little bit more excited than the other, if I'm truthful about it, and I'm not even sure that I know why, but I think that I think, and maybe it's just because, from a, on a national level, nobody's going to be overly surprised if Clark Lee comes home. Nobody's going to be surprised at all if Will Healy does. But if Jamie Chadwell does, especially considering some of the overtures from the other schools, I mean, they have him pegged for schools bigger than us. If he takes that Vanderbilt job. I think that moves the needle, which is not the ultimate goal, but it moves the needle a little bit more than anything else. Uh, I love all three of those. There's a couple of others I wouldn't mind uh, taking a look at. Huff, uh, Leopold, guys like that. But I think maybe if I'm truthful with myself, if the headline reads, Jamie Chadwell hired as Vanderbilt's next head football coach, I'd be pretty happy. Bruno is a new guy here. Do you ever worry that we don't have strong enough opinions on this podcast? (laughs) <laughs> I think you guys do just fine. I love it. I love opinions. I love, this is all fun. I love the speculation. I love the passion. It's all fun. This is supposed to be a time of fun. I want to put this, I want to put this winless season behind us and get excited. Cause I don't know. I'm excited too. I can't wait to write something great because the uh, let's, let's think about it. The, it's not like, we're short on options. That's what I was worried about. I was like, okay, we're going to move on from Mason, and we're not even going to know which direction to go. You know, I was worried we really would get picked up, or these this athletic department can't mess up. It really can't. It has three candidates who want the job, who we all, I can't even say a bad thing about. I didn't know who Clark Lee was until the search started, but I did exactly as Cibas did, and these Notre Dame people are about to start a riot, and I played against Clark Lee's defense, which was interesting, so I had to go back and watch that. But, um... Everybody knows I'm from Clarksville, and I've been on the Will Healy bandwagon for forever, too. I think Will Healy is a great coach. And then I think Jamie Chadwell is also, I mean, the dude's 90-0 right now. Every single program he's coached, except for I think think he was a coach at Delta State for one year, which, throw that out. Every single program has been on the rise. 90-0 right now, you can't go wrong with any of these guys. I mean, they're going to all be, quote-unquote, the home run hires. Now, will they win? That's to be seen. But two of them are exactly what Candace Lee said she wanted, right? Offensive-minded, head coaching experience. Clark Lee is obviously neither of those two, but he has garnered so much respect that he is still in the. He is obviously still in consideration. And you, you we mentioned we're mentioning these other names like you know Jeff Fisher. We're just throwing out uh, we're throwing out other names. Um, the thing is, is like 
I think these three are the top guys right now. And if there's any, if I had a three-sided coin and it flipped it and it landed on any of them, I'd be really happy. Everybody knows I'm a Healy fan because if I, if you can turn Austin P around, you can do anything. The sky's the limit for you. That's where I'm at with it. Man, I sound like I'm going to punt on this question, but this is honestly how I feel. I think you can make a great case for any of these three guys. I have literally ping-ponged. I think back to all of them in my mind this week. And one day you might ask me, who do you think is the best? And I could literally say any one of them. This is a case where I would really like to be in the room and see what information the committee has access to that I don't. You know, they're going to do background Mm -hmm. checks, all sorts of things. They're going to be in the room with these guys. I'm not a huge interview guy. I think that I'm not big on what you say. I'm big at looking at your track record. Mm -hmm. But... These guys are so close in my mind. You guys tell me if I'm wrong. Um, These guys are so close in my mind. I don't have a great idea of how to separate any of them. They've all got like something missing, like a checkbox missing missing somewhere. Like, for instance, Healy and Chadwell just haven't had much experience at Power 5 schools. Uh, I think Healy's been... Seabass, correct? Healy's been... Like a GA somewhere has any in the Power Five? I should know this. Uh, I mean, he was a. I think. Uh, the, he, where, where was he at, at, at UTC? I think, uh, and then came over before he came over to uh, Austin maybe, P. Maybe yep. that's he, was at, he was at he was at University of Chattanooga. I'm pretty sure he sent me a DM yeah. when I was in high school. <laughs> You might want to keep that phone number. Um, uh, that message is long gone. Oh, that's if too I, bad. And if I had it, if I had it, I I do what I could. <laughs> I do what I could with it, dude. So, you know, I I'm a, I'm a Healy believer. So he is young too. I mean, they're all they're all uh, these are all young guys too. And, and see, each one of these guys have something a, a, a uh, you know not a card to play, but something in their favor. One Healy's uh, Healy. I, I think we would all agree is, is is probably first in the McClellan camp. I think you know due to connections. Um, Clark Lee, obviously a Vanderbilt man, and uh, good grief, uh, Healy. Yeah, like I said, he's got the recommendation of uh, yeah. I did say Healy, right? Oh, Chadwell. Sorry. Okay, now I've got myself confused. Healy is the one that has the McClellan. Uh, he's the one that, that the McClellan signed off on, right? Yes, yes. So uh, when they wanted to know should they hire, uh, yeah, Vanderbilt, uh, Clark Lee, a Vanderbilt man with the Tim Corbin connection, and I'm sorry, but I've gone blank on the Chadwell connection. Uh, I know for sure for Healy and Lee, those are two things. You've got McClellan, who's going to be part of this. You've got Corbin, uh, who's who's going to be part of this. And they, uh, I, I would think that each one of those guys, I would imagine, cast their lot for those guys and I forgot. I'm sorry. I've gone blank. I want the Chadwell connection. Chadwell just wants the job. I think that's the connection. Unless I just wants the job. Okay. Yeah. And you know, here's a question for you guys: If this is any other season, do they even get in on Jamie Chadwell? No, probably not. Yeah. Well, 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 well explain what you mean by that. Uh, if it's any other season. Yeah, how many Power 5 vacancies are there right now? There's not that many. 
No, but I mean, and I understand that 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 uh, Beamer is the perceived favorite for that South Carolina job, but you know the season also hasn't ended. You know, I mean, I won't say we're in the middle of it; we're in the in the in the, in the on the backstretch of things to be sure. But there'll be other jobs that open up. I would assume there'll be other Power Five jobs that open up. Let's just not kid ourselves. This is the hardest Power Five job in America, period. And I, and honestly, I don't think it's even close. So yeah. if he really wants this job right now, I think that he would want it on in any year. Yeah, and well, the thing is, is like Vanderbilt's different from the rest of the Power Five, right? Like most of the Power Five schools, they'll probably go after guys who have Power Five experience, and uh, and they're because what we call Healy and Chadwell, like we're all pretty excited about. Uh, Schools might not be so so excited about because of their lack of experience, right? I mean, Healy was from FCS. He's been at one year on the FBS level, and they're in the is it the Sun Belt or the Conference USA? Chad was in one, Healy's in the other, right? And they've been in there one year. The other's been there two years, I believe. So these are Healy's, Healy's I don't know. Even get, okay, then Chad was in Sun Belt. So I don't know if these. I don't know if these other big programs like South Carolina would like if South Carolina is one of the you know. I'd say they're one of the lesser, and uh, in the East is one of the, you know, obviously the more look away from division in the SEC. I don't know. These guys are going to, I think Vanderbilt might be the good job for these guys, and that's why they're all pushing hard for them. The next one comes from P-Door. Each of you predict the next head football coach and the date it is announced. Seabash, you go first. All right. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I get so, and, and I, t- Bruno, I, I, I texted Chris last night and I said, I said, man, you know, not just us, but this fan base, we are, we needed a good coaching search. It's about the only yeah. thing that I think could truly, I, I mean, it's the one thing that could draw everybody in. You know, even the people who were already headed out the door, uh, you know, on the fringes, uh, and 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 have everybody talking will be a good old fashioned football search. You know, head coach, head football <laughs> coach search, and and just to see people that we really want having this job and having an interest in this job, a real interest in this job, it, it is a very big deal. And what I like to see is because I mean, you look, you see other people who say, "Oh, who the hell would want this job?" And I understand that. But I love the points that are made about why this is such a lucrative job. The city, yes. The degree, yes. But, A, this job pays very well, very well. The one line I don't like is, hey, the expectations are low. I, I hate that. I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you, you know, and, I, and I don't like re- referencing James Franklin, but I will. Because I guarantee he hated hearing that, too. You know, I, I don't want I don't want to be somewhere where I'm comfortable. I want to be somewhere where I'm held in check if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, uh, look, I don't think we can go wrong if we have one of those three guys. But at the end of the day, something tells me, and I'm I'm probably dead wrong, and it won't get it right at all. But I think <laughs> within two weeks' time, I think within two weeks' time, because I know they want to get this done sooner than later and probably before signing day, um, I, I think that the next head football coach at Vanderbilt is going to be Clark Lee in two weeks. Bruno. 
before before we hit the new year, they're gonna introduce Will Healy as the head coach at Vanderbilt. I and I I think Clark Lee is the most likely choice, but in my heart, I want it to be Healy. So before the new year, we'll see Healy introduced. Seabass, I'm with you. I'm going to guess it will be Clark Lee, and I'm not saying that based on any inside information. I'm going to say it's going to be a couple days before National Signing Day, so that would be December 14th. The reason I say that is I look at the committee and I look at the people that are on it, and Deermeyer is a business-like guy. Tim Corbin is a business-like guy who, by the way, loves Clark Lee. Um, John Ingram, same way. I just am thinking, man, but but I'm not going to be in there in the room either. I, I don't know. I just think that, to me, Clark Lee might be the guy who wins the room. And, oh, by the way, they're having the, um, what, the CEO of the NASDAQ on there, too, I think, is on the board of directors. I've gone blank on the name. But she, she'll be on that committee. I'm just wondering, is I think through the makeup of who's on there, and the fact that Clark has been at Vanderbilt, knows what it's like, knows what the restrictions are like, that's big. Uh, being able to talk the talk and know the struggles, that always has hit big with their committees. I'm going to say it's him based on that. And by the way, the name you're thinking of is Adina Friedman. Uh, if you're talking about the, the NASDAQ. Team. Yes, thank you. Why don't you see if they would uh, give us an, like an all-access type of deal and let us podcast from those meetings? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be lucky just getting the press box again. So, anyway, <laughs> don't hold your breath. Okay. The next one is from Diehard VU fan. Bruno, what was your experience like? Going up against Clark Lee's Notre Dame defense, was there anything that stood out to you or impressed you? I'll say this: I go into whenever I go into a matchup week, right? There's a lot of game planning and a lot of film that goes into it. It's honestly very boring, but it has to be done. And usually, what gets me through it is that there's one guy who I, there's one guy who's the issue who I have to study. With South Carolina, it was Kinlaw. With Florida, it was Brantley. With Auburn, it was Montrevious Adams. I mean, I could think of every single game and name. With Notre Dame, I they had one good like linebacker will hybrid end guy that I was going up against because I was like guard at the time. And sometimes he would line up at the three to pass rush. But I didn't know his name. I just knew he was number nine. But other than that, I mean their personnel and that was that was the playoff Notre Dame team we played, right? And their personnel was like wasn't anything impressive. And our offense was at the height of its I mean, regard disregarding South Carolina that year, our offense played pretty well the whole season, except for a few here and there. But that was about the best we ever statistically did consistently. And that Notre Dame team like just was shutting us down for the first 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 half of that game. I mean, I think they went up 18 to zero is extremely frustrating. I'm looking at their personnel and I'm like, how can we not score on these guys? They ran a normal four, three. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I think when you think Vanderbilt, you think three, four bend break, you know, DBs are t 15 yards off the ball and these they're catching all these five, six yard passes. And it looks methodical down the field. That's not how an order Dame played, man. They were, they were four, three uh, base and they just played extremely tight to their schemes. They were extremely well coached, extremely good fundamentals. Their D line weren't world beaters. 
it was like this guy was making magic with, you know, average Joes out there. And they created a playoff team. I think that's something extremely impressive to because cons- usually with every team, I have these big names that I come and think up. And, you know, these guys are world beaters. There wasn't that on Notre Dame. And they were the best team we played that year. They were a playoff team. So I think that, that speaks a lot for their scheme and their coordination. What year would that have been? That was 2018. Okay, because uh, the reason I – so Sheldon Day was already gone then because I remember him being a big disruptor. Yes. So that had been like yes. a year Sheldon after. Day was gone. Trust me, if Sheldon Day was there, I would <laughs> – Sheldon Day was gone. I was I, like, yes. Because I was going to say, like, man, you didn't think much of Sheldon Day? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think the world of a guy like Sheldon Day, they didn't have a Sheldon Day there. And frankly, they okay, didn't have anything that was worth remembering. I think one of I think one I think the linebacker I mentioned, number nine, actually did go on to play in the NFL, but I play against someone I play against six NFL players on the defense every every week, so it really didn't matter much, but the next question is coming from J2M. How much faith do you have that Vanderbilt won't botch this coaching hire? <laughs> uh I have 100% faith in it in the regard that I think they did the right thing by, you know, moving on from Coach Mace at the time they did. And from the fact that there is literally a no screw, there is like a no screw with these names, right? They could pick, they could pick any one of these names. And I think we're all going to be pretty happy with it. It's, even as a fan base. Ooh, I got to disagree a little bit. <laughs> just, just, just just one, and, and, and I have all the respect for him in the world and what he's done, but I think hiring Jeff Fisher would be a terrible move. Oh. Uh, yeah. I do. I, it's not about Coach Fisher. I like Coach Fisher. I, I do. But I, I don't think that's a progressive step for this university. I, I, I don't. Um, and believe me, I, he, I mean, he succeeded at the highest level. I have nothing against Coach Fisher. I just don't think it's what Vanderbilt needs. As far as them getting this right, my hope, I got to tell you, Bruno, Chris, I, me, maybe I'm dead wrong. We've never sit in, the, sit in the same room. I've never looked at them in the eyes. But just by his actions so far, I mean, Bruno, don't you think it's a different day with Daniel Deermeyer now as the chancellor here? I mean, everything just seems – different it sound it sounds like this is a chancellor that says i fully intend on making our brand something that we can be proud of that if it has the name vanderbilt on it we're going to compete at the highest level and not just be out there maybe i'm giving him too much credit but i don't think so i think he is dead serious about this and i mean think about it think about the people that are going to be on the committee or even if it's just one person that wasn't there the last time they went hunting, you know, and, and or, or it's hardly ever truly been asked uh, when it comes to something directional for this university, and that's Tim Corbin. He is a part of this process. I think the fact that he is and that they want to know how he feels about it and his input, that and what Daniel Deermeyer is doing, and as, I, as you mentioned, making the decision, how, however hard it had to be, but it was necessary to get done, implies to me there is no more comfort zone. It's time to shake things up a little bit, and there's a new day. I see that being the case. That's where I'm pinning my hopes, and I think I'm right. Yeah, your answer is my answer because I think – now, look, Vanderbilt has been known – to pull a little smoke and mirrors in its time, um, maybe very recently. 
But unless they were just putting Corbin on the committee for show, which I don't think he'd stand for for a second, that's the the gigantic insurance policy to me. And I do think I've heard from several people, Deermeyer really respects him and he has his ear. So to me, that's the biggest thing. I mean, my goodness, Seabass, we talked about the AD search this time two years ago, and we said the one guy that should be on the committee is Tim Corbin. They put every person they could think of on that committee. I mean, it was like a YMCA video times 10. <laughs> And and Tim Corbin wasn't on there. Uh, how much, if they went back in time and did that over again, how much headache could that have saved them? Plenty. Uh, a bunch. You know, it was like the last time they went around and did this, they wouldn't let you. They would let you be on the committee unless you knew someone named Tim or related to someone, or if there was a T in your name, you, you, you couldn't be on this committee. I mean, the one person needed to be in that room is the one that wasn't in the room. You're 100% right, and that's, it's a different day now, and I get a complete different vibe. And so now they have to prove me wrong. Hopefully, the, hopefully they won't do that. I think, Chris, Bruno, I think they get it right this time. I do. The next question is coming from Johnny Rush. Do you guys think that Vanderbilt is a good gig for a guy like Clark Lee? He may want to pull a James Franklin and use Vanderbilt to propel his career into something else. Uh, Given that Vanderbilt has no evidence of being committed to being a good football team, facilities are terrible, etc., why would a guy like Clark Lee come to Vandy? It seems it could be a huge career risk for the long term. It's a place where he has to really look good. And it's really good to look easy to look bad. His career could die on the vine here. Seabass, I'll let you handle that. I'm not into voodoo, but as we roll these chicken bones and take a look at what it says, you know, now we'll have to see it happen first, but the the, the wind is whispering a a large financial campaign that will be that will be coincided with the announcement of the head football coach. That coach, whoever that is, is already going to know about that and will have already been given those guarantees before he ever takes that job, you know, if that's the case, you know. And so, well, yeah, normally it's not the most attractive job in the world, but if they commit those resources and some of the numbers that you and I have talked about, if they're a possibility and they come to fruition, it is such a great opportunity. You know, now, are we behind our 13 brethren in the conference? Sure, but we always have been. But if we announce, if we announce a, a, a hire, and here's why, the, here's why Clark Lee uh, is different from James Franklin in, in, that, in, in that purpose. Because James Franklin didn't have a connection to Vanderbilt. Clark Lee certainly does to that community and to that university. Uh, and if it was just a matter of uh, the next thing, the, the next big thing that came available, then he wouldn't just have in the first place. There'd be no reason to. He's at Notre Dame now. Everyone loves him. He's having great success, and they're the number two team in the country. You know, why? There'd be no reason for him to take the job other than the true deep-rooted connections that he already has, the sweat equity that he has on that field and in those classrooms. It's something James Franklin did not have. Clark Lee has that. If Clark Lee takes this job, it's because Clark Lee 
A, expects that Vanderbilt's going to do what it says it's going to do, give him what he needs, and that he plans, he fully plans on being here for a, for a significant amount of time. Otherwise, there's no reason for him to even entertain this job. Yeah, listen, guys. I mean, coaches are players who just can't play anymore. And we're all the same. In ter- I don't know how other, other, any of us to say it. We're competitive. We're arrogant. We're egotistical. We're prideful. And no coach is going to ever look at a job or an opportunity and be like, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, Vanderbilt, yeah, I don't know if they can win there. If it's the better opportunity for him or if it's an opportunity that presents itself, more likely than not, these guys are going to jump at it. And I wouldn't, and you know, that, and if that's the case, I want the right guy to jump at the job. You know, if Clark Lee moves on because he's like, it comes out that there are rumors like, you know, oh, he maybe didn't, you know, think it was that high, like, then I don't want the guy here, you know, but obviously I don't think that's going to be the case with this. You know, I think Vanderbilt, I already said my piece early in this podcast, it is the land of opportunity right now. If we get a fresh start, I mean, Clark Lee could be the guy that comes in and changes this whole thing. They've made the right moves in every other aspect from AD. Search, they just got to find their coach. Papa Hick 4 vu asks, have you had the opportunity to interact at all with a new chancellor? If so, what's impressed you the most about him? If that opportunity hasn't presented itself, what have you observed that gives you the most encouragement for the future of athletics at Vanderbilt? Bruno, you go first, please. Yeah, so I don't think I'm important enough in the Vanderbilt in the Vander and Vanderbiltville or Vandy Sphere to meet with the new chancellor right off the jump, right? But here's the deal. I mean, I've talked to people who have met with him and what they told me in their discussions. I mean, this guy is bringing people in and the discussions are about how do I turn this program into a winning program? I think CBS hit on the head. The, the, I, I know for a fact these discussions are going down. And I and I hear exactly what their contents are. So that is a good step forward. That's what I know on the situation. This guy wants to win. This guy wants to, you know, be respected. Seabass. Hi. Uh, didn't I already answer the question? Uh, on the Chancellor? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, not this one. Have I met Chancellor Deermeyer? Are, are no, we awake? I've never looked at him. Well, no, remember, I said, I've never looked at him eye to eye. I've never met him before. I could pick him out of a lineup only because I've seen his picture. Uh, so, my, But I gave you my impressions. I, I, I think he's for real. I think he's not playing games. You and I have had many conversations off of Mike. Uh, he's doing and he's saying and expecting things that, frankly, a lot of the chancellors only did when a camera was on them. You know, this, it, it, now, you have to do it before you do it you know you're not going to get credit for doing it till it's done but he sure seems it sure seems like uh from the outside looking in that he's determined to turn this thing around that he that he does believe and what we all knew to be true for years uh and we had to fight a faction within our own group uh was that academics are not a hindrance excuse me athletics are not a hindrance a hindrance to academics by any stretch of the imagination. As a matter of fact, they're this gigantic boost, uh, you know, because one thing that I will say is, 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 is that at a place like Vanderbilt, as we can win at football with doctors, 
we can win with with attorneys and engineers who can succeed at both. You know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. We don't have to dumb it down. We don't have to water down our academics to succeed on the football field. I mean, we've got some brilliant people who played in that program year after year, brilliant players on that team right now. And unfortunately, there's been a group of people for a long time who believe that if you uh, that you aspire to achieve athletically, that means that you are in some way um, snowing academia. And I think that's ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. And I think that Daniel Deermeyer feels the same way, uh, and he is bent on making that happen. And, and, and proving that Vanderbilt, uh, beyond a world-class education, can be the best of everything. And But that has to come from within, and I think that's why I told you when I said my belief is that he is the guy that's going to make this happen. I think he has the type of mindset that so many of us out there uh, who love this great university have had for so long, but we were powerless. He's not. So, yeah, I haven't met him, but he, at least at this point, until he gives me a reason not to, has my full support. Vanderbilt says, well, no, I'm going to skip this one and go to it later because we're going to stay in the coaching search realm. Vandy Nash says, will monetizing player likeness give this coach a different recruiting angle? Does being in a big market help with that? That's a terrific question I had not thought of. Bruno, you go first, please. Man, I totally forgot that was even a thing that got passed. I'm going to be frank, just to be honest with you, I forgot that was even a thing. Um, so does that mean players can earn money from their likeness, right? Yeah, but I can't remember where that stands. I think it was, it's like a concept. It was very of, yeah. vague. Right. I don't think they've set the rules even yet. When they announced it. Okay, then we probably – I don't know if they'll even get this implemented in the time in the time frame the new coach will be here because that could be like three, four, who knows, five years. It could be could be two in the earliest. But these things, I mean, those things, that's something that's going to take time to develop. Um, but let's say let's say it was happening. Let's say on a hypothetical, Nashville's huge market, and when Vanderbilt was winning, I mean, <laughs> like when I was in high school. And I didn't think I was coming to Vanderbilt. I was committed to USF. And I was watching this the year before. I watched them play South Carolina on a Thursday first game. And it was an electric atmosphere. And then the next year, they play Ole Miss. Now, they lose both these games. But, man, everybody – I was in Clarksville. And Vanderbilt was the talk, right? So I think there's potential in this market here to where, you know, city degree, the SEC, it sells itself. Vanderbilt sells itself. And I think this will help in that regard. I mean, that's all. It's I, I don't really know how to answer that question. Um, now, and I want to make sure I understand this: the ability to monetize is based on uh, them using their likeness, not how good they are being determinant on how much they make. Right? Just that they can get a percentage of sales based on their likeness. Is that correct? Is is that the way that goes down? I really don't know how to answer. That's the thing, Sebas. They haven't even really expand. Like when they passed it, it was a very vague, it was just a very vague statement that they were going to work towards kind of like how an executive order works. Like, you know, it was sort of in, in name only was this a pass, but the details haven't been emerged yet. So it's all speculative at this point. Yeah. So I'm certainly not ducking it. I just don't know how to answer it and, or how it would affect Vanderbilt or their coach. 
Musa says, we've heard a whole lot about what coaches are favored or would likely do well at Vanderbilt, but what coaches would you see hired that would be considered a failure? I think Seabass has answered that. <laughs> uh, for his his one, Bruno, anything that you want to touch on here? Yeah, I've seen uh, – so definitely I've also been on the – I avoid because I don't like talking negative all the time, right? I don't want to be like, oh, Coach Fisher's not the answer. I, You know, was Coach Fisher – Coach Fisher was a staple of this community. I grew up watching those Titans play, right? So so I always respect to Coach Fisher, but do I think he's the answer for Vanderbilt? No. If he got hired, I would be like, uh-oh. You know, that's that would be my initial reaction. I see some people – I will say this. I see some people and some people on the board are like, oh, what if Franklin came back? Or they're mentioning Gaddis, who's right now at Michigan, who was a wide receivers coach under Franklin. I don't know much about them, but I think this university needs to, you know, move on from that whole time frame. I do think any like even even Gaddis right now and they're they're struggling at Michigan. Is it a it's a high profile job? And I'm sure he's had success here before. But I think those kind of I think these kind of candidates with the candidates we are actually talking about, you know, I, I do think it's not focused on what's in front of us in terms of we've said their names lee healy chadwell vanderbill asks before it says hope we survive relatively unscathed in athens and are able to play the vols closer in this crappy season hope springs eternal and i vision vanderbilt playing with a zero to lose mentality loose or no pressure while the vols are under immense pressure to win and wound tighter than a banjo string their key pass rusher is now gone morale morale is lower than maybe vanderbilt's anyone agree that vanderbilt can pull off the upset i'm going to preface this a little bit by saying i do we even think both teams make it to that game? Do we think either team makes it to that game? I'm going to say, I'm not going to lie. I don't know if they, I don't know if they finish that season out, Chris. I mean, Georgia game is we've heard, you know, it's potentially in jeopardy Knoxville. That's a whole week later. I don't know. Um, the thing is these opt-outs happen in bursts, right? You know, it's not like there'll be one tomorrow, the next day or the next day. Typically there's like a huge burst of them and that burst has already passed. So if they find a way to work out the numbers, Yeah. You know, we could get to that game. And, yeah, I do think we could win. Um, but w- is it going to be like a match of the century that the whole world's going to turn into? No. But would it still be a win over the Vols? Absolutely. So I hope it happens. Hope for the senior sake it happens. I hope they get to play as much football as they can before this is all said and done. But, um, yeah, it's just been a, it's just been a crappy season. I think the only thing that would really help these guys is, is getting getting a win somewhere before the end of this thing. Well, that one that one place will not be Athens, Georgia. We know that, so it's it's yeah. down to that game against uh, against Tennessee. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, now here in Jackson, we don't really have Vanderbilt fans. We have a couple, uh, but most of my callers, ninety percent, are Van- are Tennessee fans. And God, guys, I, I've I've just never seen them like this. Even when they were beaten down in some of the Butch Jones and Derek Dooley years, and all that crap that went on before the hire of Jeremy Pruitt. I, I, I mean, they, they flat want Pruitt gone. They're, they're ready to cut ties and say, it was a mistake. Go get Hugh Freeze. You know, which, uh, you know, they always shoot their sights real high. And most of the time it's just utterly ridiculous. The Hugh Freeze thing, Hugh Freeze thing is not ridiculous. That, that, that could be a reality. Um, but they're already done with them. 
they're, they're ready for them to go. You, they're, yeah, they got some of their major commits uh, decommitting within the last week. You've got guys opting out. They've won, what, two games, right? Won the first two games, haven't won since. Um, and honestly, it's inexplicable. Their inability to develop a quarterback is mind-numbing. I want you to think about this. Think about this. Jarrett Garantano, who, I mean, he played in the most difficult high school uh, division in region in America in that New Jersey Catholic League up there, man. I mean, it's you see, you know the teams up there, the John Boscos uh, of the world. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, and he succeeded at such a high level. I, I remember when he was coming, I was like, this guy is going to be a problem for us for a long time. Uh, that has not ended up being the case. And this this group just cannot develop a quarterback. When you have a line like they have, when you have a couple of backs like they have, they should be in any and every game they play. I don't give a flip what the rest of the team look like. And there's just something broke about this football team. It's it's just got a it's got a, a mojo attached to it that they cannot shake off. Um, I'll say this: the effort against A and M. The effort against Kentucky, the effort uh, against – we had one more game we played fairly well. I forget Florida, first half. Uh, Florida, first half of Florida is absolutely good enough to beat Tennessee. The rest of the season, and they blow us out too. Um, but I think whatever it is that we are and whatever it is that we have left – see, here's the beauty of it. We know we have a new head coach coming. We know there's a new day. They can't say that. They're mired in misery right now, and until something gets done, there is no hope. And if the only thing that they can have left to bank on this year is beating us, well, I mean, that kind of tells you at this point, I don't think they can. In fact, I'll bet you dollars to donuts, Bruno Reagan, Chris Lee, they want to lose to us. They want a, they want a loss to Vanderbilt. They want Probably. a loss to an 0-9 yeah. Vanderbilt that says, look, Here's where we are. Are you really going to – and now remember, this was – and see, here's why it's harder. Because this was Philip Fulmer's hire. And last time I checked, he's still the AD there. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're they're going to – he's going to be much slower to give him the ax than he would if he had not hired him or if it was not his guy. You know, maybe say, you know what, we'll cut bait. You know, now maybe if they get wind that Hugh Freeze will take the job if they're offered, maybe so. But I guarantee you right now, I bear to you a chunk of that Tennessee fan base wants them to lose to Vanderbilt in 10 days. This feels like it's going to be like a World War II era game or something like that. You know what I mean? Like who's left, who can play? It's just going to be if they play at the most bizarre Vanderbilt Tennessee game I've ever seen if not the most bizarre game at Vanderbilt I've ever seen maybe the Temple 2014 uh which would be a fitting <laughs> bookend I guess but you know what I mean Bruno yeah I mean I was there man and that's exactly what it felt like game got delayed to like three hours it was raining it was like midnight and we're just getting stomped after the most prolific season ever and what better what better way to end this whole chapter than this game going into Tennessee? You know, that's probably why the SEC moved it. They were like, this storyline is just amazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, regardless.
because you know you know how Vandy fans and even Vandy players and me how I feel about Tennessee. So I'll be up and energetic for it just like any other week, and I I'm going to be talking trash after it just like every other win. That's the way I see it, guys, and I'm still excited for it if they can play it. Yeah, well, uh, Bruno odds they play. And remember, this is a both sides thing because I don't know that Tennessee is going to be in a great place either, as we've I mean, covered. I mean, if the if part of the problem with Vanderbilt is also some COVID issues, and they get those guys back from sheer numbers, um, let's say if no D linemen get hurt against Georgia, Vanderbilt side, so fifty percent chance they play against Tennessee, I think. But there a lot could go wrong for Vanderbilt, and I mean, and that's in terms of COVID. They're playing Georgia fatigue injuries, maybe some more opt outs. So I give it, I do give it a 50 and whether you think that's good or bad, that's where I think it's at right now. Ann Arbador asks, and I believe this is the last question in the mailbag. What do you make of Mike Wright being the only player available for the Tuesday press conference? Bruno, give that one a shot, please. Dude talks well. I mean, I was a good talker. So they bring me out there all the time. The coaches make coaches might sometimes make a little bit of decision in who talks to the media, but hardly ever not. It's the communications department. Like Larry, Larry, Larry Leathers, he would always pop in and be like, Bruno, pop, get over here. And you know, so no. I wouldn't read too much into it. And I think Mike Wright is, you know, he says the right things, and that's all that's all it is. There's nothing really to read into. Seabass. Man, we're we're just <laughs> We're living in a world of, did you see who followed who on Twitter? You know, I mean, just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's exciting. It's terrifying all at the same time. I, I, I don't think there's anything here. Um, I, I think it is truly just one of those things, kind of like Bruno's saying, um, you know, he does, he, he, he does speak well and, he is one of the quarterbacks I mean, he's going to get playing time. Uh, we have packages for him, but I wouldn't overly read anything into it because think about it. I mean, you know, Fitch is, is the acting head coach right now. He was the offensive coordinator. You know, it's I, unless we were dealing with a situation where Derek Mason told him, you will play Ken Seals, and that's the way it's going to be, and he's the guy, even though he didn't really want to, then that's one thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, I – I, at least, for surface-wise, I, I, I don't read anything into that whatsoever. And with that, we are going to close the show today. Parting thoughts. Seabass, you first, please. Oh, parting thoughts, man. Uh, I'm terrified right now, but I'm also as excited as I can be. Uh, I don't know when this announcement's coming, but, I mean, like you said, I, I don't think we're in – I, I I feel fairly confident that by Christmas time we absolutely know who the new football coach is, and uh, you know, there's a couple of different ways things could go. But the the the, the truth of the matter is, I, I couldn't be more excited about this right now. I mean, I'm disgusted the way things have turned out, but you know, we we have a winless program that is limping to the finish line. And we've got some freaking dead gum good options at quarterback or at, at the head coach to take this program and a brand new chancellor that seems beyond excited. Uh, I, I just, I mean, I, I mean, think about it, guys. This time last week, there was nothing to look forward to. Nothing. <laughs> the end of the season. That might be about it. 
that might be about it. You know, I remember as a recruit, uh, I went to a spring game in Clarksville, and I'm surprised I ended up going there because I went to a spring game and I was watching them. Uh, this was my junior year, and I was watching the, the, the players, and they came off the field, and spring game was over with, and I heard one of the offensive linemen, and I reminded him of it next year when I was a freshman. I heard him say, uh, he said, thank God it's over. You know, I never – I was still in high school, Bruno. You know what I'm talking about. You couldn't imagine one football yep. season to be over. I mean, come on. Uh, yep. and, I, and I remember him saying that. And to me, I, I never thought I could get there. Well, I found out what he meant later on. I, I understood. <laughs> it didn't take long to, understood, to understand why he felt that way. Uh, and I've always wanted to be caught part of a football culture uh, – that is anything but that. And I think that if we get any of those three guys, that we have a chance for that. And to me, that's something to be excited about. So buckle up. It's going to be a fun next couple of weeks. Bruno. I'm just glad we finally get to go into a positive direction, man. I mean, the last last year, let's be honest, last year covering things, especially on the inside, that was bad. We're like, okay, this is bad. That somehow it gets worse, right? It's about time we had a change of narrative, everything. I mean, we're all begging for it. I hope people understand that as like writers and whatever, like we do you think we want to <laughs> be on the down on reporting on the net? No, we want we give us something to work with, right? I think this whole coaching search is a time for us to have fun, speculate. That's what it's all about. I'm enjoying it. And I know whenever they decide on who the head coach is i'll probably be behind it 100 because it seems like a, a no-lose situation for the school right now and i'm excited guys i'm excited i know you guys are excited and vanderbilt vanderbilt fanny fans should have you know they should all be excited as well that's the end of today's vandy sports podcast uh bruno let's start with you give out your twitter handle so people can follow you at bruno reagan b-r-u-n-o-r-e-a-g-a-n at bruno reagan and Seabass, tell folks where they can find you on Twitter and also online, please. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cheap Seats Bass. That's at Cheap Seats Bass. You can find me Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. on 101.5 FM in year number 21 of the Cheap Seats in Jackson, Tennessee. All right. For Seabass and Bruno Reagan, I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. We probably will not drop an episode until next week. In any case, we look forward to broadcasting to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast.